Welcome to the Living the Writing Life podcast. My guest today is Molly Giles. Molly is the award-winning author of six story collections and two novels. Rough Translations won the Flannery O'Connor Prize, the Boston Globe Award, and the Big and the Bay Area Book Reviewers Award. Other notable accolades have been awarded from the Small Press Best Fiction Award for Creek Walk, which also earned a Commonwealth Silver Medal Award for Fiction and was a New York Times notable book. Bothered won the Split Oak Press Flash Fiction Award and All the Wrong Places won the Spokane Prize for Fiction. Molly's work has also earned the O. Henry Award and the Pushcart Prize, and she has received grants from the National Endowment for the Arts, the Marin Arts Council, and the Arkansas Arts Council. Wife with a Knife was the Leapfrog Global Fiction Prize. Her latest book, the novel The Home for Unwed Husbands, was released August 2023, and it's published in the U.S. by Leapfrog Press and by Can of Worms Enterprises in U.K., In today's conversation, we'll be talking about longevity as an author, how to keep the creative spark alive and strong. Welcome to the show, Molly. Thanks so much, Nancy. Well, this is this is going to be very instructive for me since I'm getting up there, too. You know, it's like when you start (laughs) when you start approaching one of those milestone birthdays, you start wondering, can you keep it going? So. I'm going to learn a lot from you today. (laughs) Good luck. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I do want to open by talking about your career as an author, which, if I've done the math right, which could be questionable, uh, spans more than 38 years. How has your life as a writer changed over the years in terms of your creative process? That's a big one. Well, actually, I... I published my first book in 1985, so that would have been 38 years. Um, But I have been writing, I had a whole collection of short stories published before then, but not as a collection. So when you're a short story writer, you publish, you know, here in the New England Review and there, here, and, and, um, and it's, it's not until you get a book together that you're considered a published writer. So it took me a long time to get that first book published. And I, it was a thesis. I was a, I was a student. Um, in those days, they didn't have an MFA. They had MAs only. And I was um, working or going to school at San Francisco State University, which had a creative, does have a, a wonderful creative writing department. And so the first collection was my thesis of stories. It was called Rough Translations. And at the urging of my wonderful Southern friend, Frances Mays, who wrote Under the Tuscan Sun, she said, she's from Georgia. She said, Molly, you got to submit it to the University of Georgia Press. So I tried for that. And I got a very nice letter back saying that I was a finalist, but that the judges hadn't liked this, this, and this story. And the editor very sweetly pointed out the ones the judges hadn't liked. So the next year I sent it again and again got the same you're a finalist. (laughs) And these are the stories they didn't like. So there's one thing about being a writer, as you probably have sadly learned, and that is there is no such word as dignity. I mean, we we submit, (laughs) we submit. So third time, I just pulled my pants up and submitted again. And this time I did win. But 
during those, gosh, I think it was almost 13 years that I had been writing these stories, I had published every story in it, but I did not have a whole book collected. So, so I've been writing a long time. And how has my um, creative process changed? Oh, well, in those wonderful days, there was something called deadlines. I cannot tell you how much I rely on deadlines. I, um, I, uh, I'll write on spec if I think somebody wants to read it. Now that I'm retired and home um, and have all this time, I'm afraid my writing process is, well, let's say saggy. Saggy a good word? Baggy? <laughs> Lagging, lagging. Mm -hmm. um, I still am in a writer's group. And so we meet every month or so. And I do try and submit something to that. So that keeps me on the go. And I have one wonderful friend in New York, Therese Svoboda. And she and I have a back and forth every month. We usually choose one day of the week, like oh, sleeping in public day. We'll look for the craziest day, one day a month, sleeping in public day or walk on a crack day, and then we will submit stuff to each other and give each other very gentle feedback. But it does it does give me something to aim for a date because um, otherwise, no, I think so. I've gotten, now that I finally, I've raised three daughters, I've had a hundred jobs. I taught for 45, no, 35 years. Um, and now that I have nothing but free time and a place to write, I don't know. I sort of have been starting to do the New York Times spelling bees. And <laughs> <laughs> it's terrible. <laughs> it's terrible. But when I get an idea, um, then I'm, I'm, I'm good to go. I'm good to go. But, mm -hmm. uh, but I, I'm not out in the world as much as I'd like to be. And some ideas come. Anyway, that's a short-term answer. We'll probably go over the same, same stuff. <laughs> But like a lot of writers um, today, anyhow, I started in um, college. Um, I, I started writing as a child, of course, but um, and I published a little bit. I mean, I was editor of the high school yearbook, not yearbook, but the um, literary magazine, etc. But I wrote poetry, um, and it was terrible. And so I didn't really start to write fiction till I was in my late 20s. And... Um, I was married, I had already two children, and um, I was stuck. I was living in a California's capital, Sacramento, which is a wonderful city, but it's not a, it's where Joan Didion came from. It's actually where Ra uh, Raymond Carver lived for a while, but it still isn't exactly a hub of intellectual activity or artistic activity. Anyhow, I was quite lonely, and, um, um, and I took a correspondence course through UC Berkeley, with a woman who taught me wonderfully how to, she would give assignments. Her name was Cecilia Bartholomew. She's long gone, um, but she would give me assignments to write a, a whole story in 500 words, for instance. And you had to, you know, it, was, it felt artificial to count the words, but it was wonderful. And um, so I would type up, type, type my stories on a carbon and send them off to her in a manila envelope and they would come back marked in a manila envelope. And um, it was extremely helpful. So I did that for, um, I think a couple of months. And then with a story that I had written for her, um, 
I submitted it to a little magazine called, what's it called? I can't remember. It was a teen, it was, it was geared for 14, 15 year old girls and ingenue, ingenue. And they accepted it and they paid me $300 and I was thrilled. And then the magazine went out of business. <laughs> Didn't must have out. been your check that did it, right? <laughs> <laughs> but I used that story and submitted it to the, at that time, it was called the Squaw Valley Community of Writers. You don't say squaw anymore. It's now just known as the Community of Writers. But I submitted it to the Community of Writers, and they gave me a scholarship. Now, that was, I was already 30. So it took me that long. All during my 20s, I'd been trying to write poetry. I'd been reading poets that I loved, like T.S. Eliot. And I'm not smart enough to write like T.S. Eliot. I I don't know what I was trying to do, um, but I don't understand any of my poems and neither did anybody else. They never got published. So finding a short story form for me was extremely freeing. I loved it. So that was my initiation into publishing and writing, initiation into publishing as you struggle and you do everything fine and it goes belly under. And, um, and but going to the community of writers that first time was an eye opener because I was suddenly surrounded by people who read and wrote and loved words and wanted to talk about them. And it was a young crowd and it was very diverse and it was full of energy and it was an absolute delight. And I, it was just a week of being with, none of us ever wanted to leave again. You know, it was wonderful. So that was, that was a big treat for me. Um, you know, you you had said something that that I I want to to go back to. You you were saying that your short stories had been published individually for a long time, and then you had a book come out. Did you feel differently about yourself um, as a writer when you had the book versus when you would have stories published? Like, did you feel? more legitimate did you feel more like oh now I can claim the title of being a published person because it, it seems like every time I, I remember because like you you know I, I had some some stories published in that and I used to do a lot of magazine articles so you know when I would tell people before my first book came out when I would say I'm a writer of course the first question is oh do you have a book? Where can I buy your book? And then if you don't have a book, it's almost like, oh, I shouldn't have said that. Did you did you have that feeling that that with the first book, now I'm legit? Definitely. I think that's a very insightful question. Um, with the, the very first story I published, came out in a magazine that is since defunct also called Playboy. No, excuse me, Playgirl. Playgirl. Now, Playgirl had a naked man in the cover. It was, um, uh, you couldn't buy it in the newsstand. You had to ask for it. My story was a very simple story about a mother and daughter, but I couldn't. Um, and when it was published, it was published, um, it showed a picture of a woman screaming on the cover. And then it was published between ads for something called Stay Hard Cream, which <laughs> looked a lot like tubes of Elmer glue. And um, and I had to cut it out column by column because I could not show my mother or my grandmother, you know, the story that I was very proud of. And it was a lesson to me. 
I thought, oh, I'll be published. I don't know whether I thought I was going to first come out in the New Yorker or something, but that may, it comes out and it's thrown away. I mean, it, it's, it comes in August. It's gone by August 20th because September is there already. So that was a real lesson, I guess, in disappointment. And um, when my first book came out, I, I did feel, I felt exactly the way you said. And um, I just, it had the most, it has the most beautiful inner paper with well, the end paper is this fuchsia and beautiful. And I just would open it and I just look at the end paper and I would look at the type. I treated it like a baby. In fact, I carried it very close to my, to my heart. I, I, I walked around like I had the opposite of a fanny pack. I had a heart pack and I was extremely proud of it because and with all the stories, I'd always had that feeling, whether they came out in literary magazine or someplace like um, uh, house, not Good Housekeeping. I never published in Good Housekeeping, but I did publish in McCall's and Red Book. There were a lot of women's magazines, but they were just easy come, easy go. And they were all cut between ads. And you're when you have a book, there's no advertisement. And of course, now I sincerely and dearly miss Red Book and Good Housekeeping because there's so few places for women, especially to publish stories about domestic life, um, which is what I'm essentially interested in. Um, so yes, in answer to your question, getting that first book was a total thrill, a total thrill. So thank yeah. you. Like, oh, no, I, I and, and I think that's, I think that is, a good thing for writers who have been published, but not in book form to think about so that they are as proud of the individual piece as they would be, because not everybody goes on to do a short story collection or a book of essays or a novel or whatever. And, and I, and I think it's really important that, those who don't or have not yet done a book, you know, brag about the individual pieces because they, you know, they, they represent an achievement, even if that's, even if that's the only piece, you know, it never goes on to become part of a book. I, I think, I think we owe it to ourselves to say, this was good. This was a good piece that may touch people and I should be proud of it. And just because I don't have a book doesn't make me any less of a writer. That's right. But it's sometimes hard for us to call ourselves writers. And I think it's even harder now when so much is being published online. You don't have anything tangible to show. You don't. You can't cut between the columns to show your mother. Um, what do you do? You uh, people go on Facebook and they send to friends. I mean, how many? How many people are even going to read the little magazines now? Uh, often when I get published in a magazine, I, I don't read all the pieces. I want to. I take the, I take the uh, Paris Review every month and they pile up and it's so guilty. I'm so guilty. And um, same with the New Yorker. I will. That's not so bad. But the Paris Review, I should read it every month. And I take several. I take Zizava, which is a wonderful magazine from San Francisco. Um, and um, the Santa Monica Review, I take several, but to get through them all, I don't, and I don't know many people who do. So yes, to be chosen by an editor with all this stuff they have to go through is a real honor, and everybody should take great, deep 
credit for it. But as far as thinking that other people are going to read it, yeah, I don't know. I sort of have given up on that one. Yeah, so. no, I, I, I know. Um, you know, I, I am curious. Uh, do you find that in general, the writing has become easier, like it's easier to fall into the routine? Or especially because you've done so many books, does each book represent or does each book present its own unique challenges in terms of being able to go from the opening chapter to the end? Well, most of my books have been collections of stories. So you you gave me credit for, I think, six story collections in your introduction. And I only, I have five, five oh, stories. sorry. But that's okay. But in a, in a collection, it's not like you have to go from one chapter to the other, although it it's very difficult to know how to organize a short story collection. And my heart goes out to those of us who try and put one together because you want one to flow into the other, um, but that doesn't always happen unless they're connected short stories. Um, so that's always tricky. But with a novel, of course, you want, you want to, you want to get enough oomph to get you through the first chapter onto the second one without burdening the first chapter. I find first chapters the hardest in novels. I I, uh, I think I rewrote the, the beginning of both, um, both my novels at least 40 or 50 times. And just finding the right voice and the right note and the right way to, to get into it, it's, it's very difficult. And it's that way with every short story too. The first paragraph is rough. Um, so getting into the the flow of it, but I'm sorry, I can't remember the the, the end of your question. But I'm just oh. I'm so, so boggled by beginnings. You know, <laughs> endings are a piece of cake. Kill them off. You know, <laughs> beginnings. <laughs> beginnings are triple. So, are are you a plotter or a pantser? What is that? Um, well, a plotter is the one who sits there, like Elizabeth George. She will completely oh <laughs> plot it all out, and then the pantsers, and I'm a pantser. We just sort of get started and hope we got enough gas to get to the destination. Is there something called a butterfly? Where you just, <laughs> <laughs> where you just sort of flit. I, a panther stalks, and I think of a panther as being stealthy and 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 know what they're doing. Um, no, 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 pantser, as in we're riding by the seat of our pants. Oh, I get it. I thought you were a beautiful, sleek black cat moving oh, through. Oh God, the no. <laughs> I did take a course once uh, that Elizabeth George was teaching. Oh boy. I, and I read how to write a novel and I wrote down everything. I truly did try. And it's, it's just not me. Um, <laughs> I did give it a go. I did give it a go. And, and I love writers who put things on their walls, you know, like a detective, they'll put all the, the clues out there. No, I'm a pantser. Definitely. A pantser. <laughs> it's a terrible word. <laughs> I probably have the same book by Elizabeth George that you did. And I mean, I found it very instructive, very interesting, everything. But I knew that that would never be me. Of course, I also do not write, you know, detective crime where you got to make sure everything is laid out. But my feeling is, if I already know how it's going to end, why even bother to write it? I, I mean, I so many times, whether it's in my short stories or whatever, I... I will be surprised by something. It's not like I sat there and said, oh, well, at this point, character XYZ is going to do such and such. I mean, there's 
there's just been times where I'm writing and then all of a sudden something shows up and I'm like, I didn't know that was going to happen, you know, so I, I prefer to be surprised. It can backfire at times, you know, and you got to go back and fix things, but yeah, yeah I'm definitely a, a pantser. I, I just, I don't have the discipline to sit there and outline and lay. I, I, I think what I'm doing now, especially now that I've, cause I did so many short stories and now I finally had one novel come out and now I'm working on the second one and I'm doing, I'm kind of doing it a little bit in reverse that as I finish a chapter, then I'll write a short summary of what took place <laughs> so that I don't have to keep going back and look, but I, I rarely, you know, no, I absolutely do not plot it out in any way, shape or form. Well, one thing Elizabeth George did help me with was not plotting, but um, she takes every character and she writes an entire biography of that character. And I actually think that's a brilliant idea. And um, that that helps more with a with a novel, of course, because you sort of want to know, you know, what birth sign your character is, you know, what's their not really what they had for breakfast, but sort of that sort of the intimate what they have in their pockets. Um and she was very helpful with that. I think that's good advice. I like books on writing. I like um, I love Stephen King's book on writing, and I don't like the ones that the diagram things or like Elizabeth George break it down to patterns. But you you can pick up these stray ideas because really what you want to know is how people move and think, and they don't move and think with any known pattern at all. So you have to stay open to the cosmos because. People are very surprising. And what you just described are those moments of grace that do happen to us as writers if we're there. You know, what is that wonderful quote by, I think it was, um, who wrote The Heart is a Lon Lonely Hunter? Um, oh, Carson. Carson. Yeah. She said, she said if, um, if inspiration wants to find me, I'll be at my desk from nine to two. And mm -hmm. you have to be at your desk for, or in the shower or someplace totally inappropriate and it'll come. <laughs> you but mowing the lawn yes you have to be in the you have to be in the in the zone whatever it is you're thinking about your book and sometimes you'll be in the supermarket and the checker or somebody behind you will say exactly the right thing that you need to put mm -hmm. in so you have to stay open uh, and focused and and that's just I don't know it's it, I, I just call it grace I don't know what other word to use for it because when it happens it happens yes and and it's funny because we know it too, you know, I mean, I, I can remember one of my short stories came out of this like really brief conversation I had with a total stranger at a flea market. And, and we were both commiserating about how hot it was. I mean, you know, hot, humid, why are we here? And I was walking through the flea market. She was one of the people who had a table at the flea market. And she said something about, well, it was either be here with my husband or be at home with his Aunt Aggie. And it was like, <laughs> and out of that came an entire short story. I mean, it was just, I had no idea who Aunt Aggie was, but but it was just, you know, I mean, I, I think we are the best eavesdroppers in the world, you know? I mean, it just- I don't like traveling. You go to another country and they talk German or they'll talk, you know, they'll talk you know, Spanish or Irish. No, come on, let's go English. I want to hear you. Yeah. I'm, I'm not that happy with people who talk on their cell phones. You know, I don't like, I don't like listening to those conversations. Right, right. Although, <laughs> although it does give us the opportunity to imagine the other half 
of the conversation because sometimes they can be interesting. But yeah, I when I used to, to fly a lot, when my parents lived in, in Florida and California and I would be flying a lot to go see them, I'd get to the gate early just so I could sit there and watch <laughs> and listen to people and kind of make notes. And I'm thinking, this is really rude, but it's very helpful because especially if you live alone, you know, you don't have that opportunity to listen to people. So I grabbed any opportunity I had to, to yeah, kind of writer, steal. Writers, writers are spies. I mean, it's not enough that we're thieves. We're also <laughs> spies and liars. So, you know, yeah. you, asked, you asked about my my name originally. And at one point when I was thinking of changing it from Giles, I looked up and St. Giles is the patron saint of thieves, liars, and cripples. And I thought, yes, yes, I'm keeping it <laughs> That's for me. That's for me. <laughs> that worked well. <laughs> um, now, now this is, and this is a question really for myself, um, as well as any of the older writers who may be listening. Do you consider yourself an older writer? And if so, how has that affected your creative sensibilities? Do you find that you're writing trying to write more, write faster because, oh, the clock is ticking, the years are going, or do you not think in those terms? Well, I don't think in those terms, thank God. Um, but I do find that I am writing more about older people and um, uh, that my, uh, I've always doodled and I've always doodled sort of a woman's face when I'm bored at a lecture or whatever, or waiting, put on hold, I doodle. And I've just noticed recently that the woman's face I'm doodling these days has deep lines, <laughs> strange chin hairs. It's very odd. And it's still fun to draw. So uh, what I found as a, a, I am an older writer um, and I am slower rather than being faster, of course, I'm slower. So it takes me a longer time. Um, and um, I read more slowly and more carefully, I think. In fact, I've really been enjoying rereading a lot of books. And um, I think that I don't sit at the computer as for hours like I used to. I used to be able to make four hours. I'm lucky if I make two now. Um, but uh, my interests are no longer, I'm not that interested on who's sleeping with who anymore. That doesn't, <laughs> that doesn't interest me. Um, and so I'm I'm more interested in um, the solitary life in some ways and the uh, the lessons that people are going through. I don't know. I can't describe it better, but definitely, um, definitely feeling my age um, and also realizing that I don't have the vocabulary in many ways or the technology to write as a younger person anymore. So a lot of the... I just finished a wonderful book, uh, Burnham Wood. It's written by a young woman, who, a New Zealand woman. And what are the characters, whether she names it or not, is the cell phone. The character, um, it's sort of like, if you can imagine Ellen Musk and Julia, Julia Butterfly together. It's like a, a, an idealistic environmentalist and a monomaniacal, anyhow, a psycho uh, millionaire. And... But the cell phone, the way she uses her cell phone here and there to, to access where they're tracking or where they're doing this. I wouldn't, I mean, I use my cell phone to, you know, make phone calls. <laughs> um, so there, I, I know that I'm out of it with that. And I read some of the uh, younger um, people's work, which I love, 
but it has access to things I don't have access to. And not only that, don't want to. So that's where my old age comes in. There's a resistance to it. Um, I know what I know and um, uh, and I don't know that well, but I, I just am not flexible enough to learn or interested enough to learn how to manipulate all the media that's here or to make fiction out of it. So mm -hmm. that's, that's in many ways, that's where I feel like an older writer, like a fuddy-duddy. Um, when I was beginning to write, people smoked. They needed change to get into cell phones. Um, you know, it was just a, you didn't talk, your car was the one place you could be alone. You didn't have, you didn't have constant companionship with the media all the time, the way we do now. And it's a different way of looking at the world. And I miss it, frankly. I don't miss the cigarettes. I'll take that back. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, 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 I'm totally with you there. I mean, you know, like you, I can remember before we had computers, you know, I can remember before we had cell phones. I remember at one point I carried a pager and I thought, wow, that's, I am really hot stuff here, right? I've got a pager because of the, my, I was working two jobs and I had young kids and they needed to be able to reach me. And it was like, okay, you know, we can, we can page mom and then she'll answer the phone. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, uh, there's just a lot. I mean, I I admire the writers who are writing, you know, for several generations behind them. But I would like I could never write YA. I could never do young adult stuff. I mean, I I don't have any frame of reference for that. You know, it would definitely seem like, you know, I'm writing from when I was a young adult or when I was a teenager. And it's, that's not anything that, you know, that would appeal to the market today because it is, the world is so dramatically different. It's historical fiction. They would think it's like <laughs> gone, gone with the wind, you know? <laughs> yeah. I, I agree. It's hard for me to, to access, uh, I, even though my, my, I have a wonderful, well, I have wonderful grandchildren, but my 21 year old who lives in, Amsterdam came and lived with me for six months this year and she was doing a gap year before starting college and I just adored her but I think she didn't you know she she fixed my Spotify she fixed my she got me onto the right you know we could watch all these stupid shows on TV that she liked <laughs> all with Marvel comics but um but I didn't really get any she doesn't know whether she wants to be she knows she doesn't ever want to get married. She knows she doesn't ever want to have children. She's not sure what sex she wants to be. She thinks she might want to be a barista. I mean, she has so many, when I think of what I was doing at 21, when I was already had a baby, was married, was working, um, it's hard for me to understand her life the way I should. I adore her and I have a hundred percent behind everything she does, but to, appropriate appropriate it and try and write about it i would be i'd be a stranger in paradise i would not know how to do it so mm -hmm. i don't i don't i can't go there yeah yeah no it would it, it's almost like you'd be bringing in that character as a token a token stand-in and, and i never wanted to do that i mean no. you know most of even in my short stories you know admittedly most of the characters in my short stories are white. 
because that's what I know, you know, I mean, although I grew up um, both my, but on both sides, my grandparents were immigrants. They had come over on my mother's side. They came over before, when was it? Before World War One started. And then, um, you know, so I grew up in, you know, in, in Youngstown, Ohio, which is, had, had its sections of this is where the Italians lived. This is where the Slovaks lived. This is where the Hungarians lived. So it was very familiar to me to be around people with accents. I think I was in, oh gosh, in my 20s before I met somebody. I had a friend whose grandmother spoke perfect English. And I realized that was the first time I'd ever met somebody of that generation who didn't speak with an accent because... <laughs> because you tended to be with your own, you know, but yeah, I mean, I just, um, I think that would be fascinating to write about. So I think you should write about yourself at that time. It's fascinating. <laughs> Good for you. Good for it, you. It's just, you know, it's just a, a different kind of thing. Um, you know, I, I am curious because now you've, you've published both collections and, and novels. Is there one, that is kind of like your favorite or one that is like special to your heart or is that like asking a parent which kid do you love the best oh you always like the latest one that came out or the newest one but there's one book that never got it was it, it's just called bothered and it's a chat book and it's all short shorts so everything in it is flash fiction and um it came out with a again, with a, a press that went out of business right away. You can't find it anywhere. It's unheard of. It's called Bothered. And I just, whenever I'm giving a reading, I usually just take a bunch of them and put them on the table and have people help themselves. But I'm very proud of it. Um, it's about, I don't know, maybe 28 pages long. I, I've got it right here, but I don't know how many pages it is. Um, so I'm, I'm fond of that little one. Um, you know, they're all very dear to me. I have to say they're all very dear to me. <laughs> <laughs> I love them. I love my books. Oh so. yeah. It's it's like it's our kids, you know, like like when when I when I talk about my first novel, the one that just came out this summer, and I'll and I'll tell people, I say, Oh, Rita got another award. I'm so proud of her. And then they'll go, Oh, is that your daughter? No, no, that's my book. Because uh, I because a book title is reinventing Rita. So I talk about it like you know, like it's the character who won the award, right? But it is, don't you think it is? I think one reason why I endure readings or anything like that is not for self-aggrandizement. Is that one thing about yes. reading so much? I don't pronounce words very well. I don't speak them, but it's for the book. And you do push it forward, even if it's an unloved or a, an unlucky book or a homely book. You, it's yours and you, you want it to, you want it to stand on its own and not get kicked by the bullies. And, you know, so, so you push it forward and it isn't have anything to do with your own pride or vanity. It is different. It's you, this is your, you push it out there. So yes, I think a lot of us, a lot of writers do the same thing. I think we do. We, we're not the book. Yes. And, and it's the same feeling you have with your child. You want, you want your child to shine in the recital and, if they don't, you still tell them they did fine. You know, so. 
So, yeah, yeah. Very maternal. I can't imagine Philip Roth talking about his books like this, but this is a, a maternal take on it. Oh, we don't even want to go there. <laughs> I'd be afraid of what he would, would never mind. Um, <laughs> all right. So speaking of your most recent books, we've got, I, I always want to put with a knife. I don't know why. I, I'm sorry. Wife with knife. I know the first time I said the title, I said it wrong. So that was your short story collection. That one came out in 2021. And, and then, of course, the novel, The Home for Unwed Husbands, it just came out this past August. Let's start with the collection. Was there something that inspired the theme of these stories? Or did they all sort of come together very organically? Um, they didn't come together organically, and I think they were written over a number of years. I'm going to just grab my copy here. And um, a lot of them are my my friends' stories. And um, the title story is, it, it's really is a story that a friend told me. And uh, I feel guilty about taking it, but she still passed away. And she didn't write it. It was her life. And I changed, you know, a lot of stuff in it. But it was definitely that. Um, I think I'm, I am skimming through it. There's a lot of short shorts in here, too. There's some that are in Bothered. That collection I said was my favorite. Um, and no, I don't think there's any theme going through it. They're all, of course, mainly about relationships. And um, um, it starts with a girl and her father. And I think it ends with a, a, a divorced woman and her ex. Um, so a lot of them are men and women, um, and a lot of them are, um, I think, yeah, looking through, a lot of them do seem to be about men and women. So that's, uh, that's where they went. So good. Okay. So no, I don't think there was any, I'm afraid there was no unifying principle. To me, a, a collection of stories is much like a box of chocolates. You're going to like some, you're not going to like the caramels maybe, but you're going to love the cream. So you just sort of stick your finger in the bottom, you know, test them, mm -hmm. uh, stick your finger in the bottom of each and put it back in the box. So nobody knows that you tasted it, but um, I will go through a new collection of stories by anybody. And I don't usually start at the beginning. I will open it at random. I like to read the first, the last, the middle, and then if I'm totally charmed, I'll just read the whole collection straight through. Mm -hmm. And I found too, because I, I always tended to buy uh, short story collections that, you know, sometimes, you know, maybe like five in the collection, I could really relate to at that point in my life. If I pick up that same collection, maybe five or 10 years later, something else because of maybe something I've gone through or how I've changed, then it's like a totally different story that the first time it was like, okay, this was a good story, just didn't speak to me. This time it caught me. So, you know, I think sometimes too, where the reader is at a personal level can affect whether or not the story speaks to us. Of course. And that's how they get published. I mean, you're really, you don't know what mood your editor's in. If you, you know, if you send something out to a, a magazine and he's already read 15 stories about, I don't know what, talking elephants, he's, and you've written a wonderful, you've written Dumbo and he doesn't want it, you know, you're, you're out. So yes, a lot of it is, is the reader, the reader, and we are the readers of our own work too. So yes. that's, that's true. This so. is true. 
Um, now, as far as the novels, um, of course, your most recent, The Home for Unwed Husbands, and then the first one, Iron Shoes, in both cases, um, the female protagonists are, are in their, what, early 40s. And I think there was a reviewer who said about Iron Shoes, it was a coming of age novel for late bloomers. Um, so why did you choose to write about women at that stage of their life? I think I think for women, maybe men too, but I think the 20s are terrible times. And I also think the 40s are very rough. And uh, we're not, I was, I, I just have to go personally. I, I had very um, charismatic um, parents and I was an obedient child. And I think, and also very uh, sullen, <laughs> a nice combination of obedient and sulky um, and resentful. And to not be a daughter anymore and to grow up more and be a individual, you know, not to be a wife or a mother, but even in your forties to still feel so like a daughter. And so that was what really um, triggered uh, Iron Shoes, which came from a short story. It, it sprang from a short story in my third collection or second collection, Creek Walk. Um, it was a story about um, my mother's death or about a mother's death that was based on my mother's death, but it wasn't my mother. And after I finished that story, I thought, you know, this isn't finished. And I was I was thinking about the character in it and the different people in it. And uh, from that, I started to write Iron Shoes. And my latest novel, which has come out, you're good at math, 30 years later, let's see. No, okay, it came out in 23 and Iron Shoes was published in 01, 20, 2001, I think, 2000. Anyhow, it came out decades later, okay? It's the same story. It's the same character. She's now five years older. She still is being a good girl. She still is sort of doing what she's told by her father now. Her mother has passed away, but her father's become the dominant character in her life and she has to still grow up i think growing up takes forever and i think the hard part about being in your 20s is that you think you are and you sure are not <laughs> and um i am such a proponent i just love the 60s i can't tell all my listeners just hang in there get into your 60s your 70s i don't recommend the 80s which is where i am now but i did love the 60s and 70s and the 50s there's a wonderful expression by um Grace Paley, I think she called a woman in her 50s, she said she was in the steamy energy of midlife. And I love that steamy energy feeling, you know. Um, but the 40s were still sort of coming out of the chrysalis, uh, still needing to grow up a bit. Even though you are, you have your career by then, you usually have your much of your, the work of the 30s behind you. And, um, uh, but there still is some emotional growing up that needs to be done. And it's often too when your parents pass away. Right. They're, right. they're often at that age. So the 40s, there's usually some grief in the 40s. Yeah. And I think, too, the transition, depending on if you had children and when you had them. Um, I had my first child at 19. So it's it's kind of like, you know, when you hit your 40s, they're pretty much if they're not out of the house, they're on their way. OK, so then it becomes um, very much 
now what am I supposed to, or who am I? Even if you have a career, it's still so much. And I don't know if it affects men that way. And what do I know? Um, But, you know, very much that I'm not a mother anymore, even though I might have a career outside, outside of the home, but filling in that space and figuring out the new identity, it's, um, it, it can be, it, depending on how you feel about it, it can either be very exciting or very, very sad if, you know, if you're thinking, oh, no, you know, I don't, I'm not the mom anymore. Nobody needs me. I mean, you know, it's, it's, um, that never yeah. ends. <laughs> that never ends. Don't, don't think it does. It never ends. But, uh, that's not so true of women today, again, because women in their 40s today are often pregnant. I mean, it, it, you know, it's it's different. So they've, they've had their, they've been practicing law or medicine or doing some wonderful things with the environment all through their 30s. And then in their 40s, they have started having a family. And so that is totally different from the way you and I grew up. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it's a whole new look on the on growing up and and getting older and um, so I just I'll be interested to see I'm not going to be around but I'd be interested to see how this all pans out because women have gone through so many wonderful changes and so much so much more work so much more work for them um, to have a to be perfect to have a career to be a perfect wife and mother I. I know men are far more, the husbands of young women that I know are far more helpful, but they're not helpful enough. <laughs> so no matter what, I, I still think the burden of responsibility is always on that that woman. Who's, and if she's also trying to write, yeah. if she has a full-time career, whether it's whatever it is, and, and a family, and is trying to write, well, God love her because yeah. it's, uh, it's not going to, it's not, it's never been easy. And it's no easier now. And it, right. can, it can be done. That's all, that's all yeah. I can say. It, it can be done, but it's it's always, there's always a price you have to pay. And and I think we have to, we have to decide each one of us for ourselves, um, whether, whether we can pay that price. I mean, I, for me, you know, looking back, I was glad I had my kids early and then went on to, a very varied career. Um, I would find it really hard to have worked outside the home and had a career and then tried then to have a baby in my late thirties or forties. I would, that wouldn't have never worked for me, but then we really didn't have those choices. You know, back then we, you know, once you, once you had a child, you, you were not really, good employment risk because you know you're going to take off work when the kids get sick like you have the kid all by yourself right but anyways we don't even want to go there um (laughs) yeah it's a whole different world sadly now with the way things are going you kind of wonder if we aren't just reverting back you know for women but whatever um Okay, I, I do want to talk a little bit uh, briefly about the memoir you have that's going to be coming out next year. Why did you decide to write a memoir? I didn't. <laughs> I was writing 
Oh, with some short pieces that I, I'm very, I love flash fiction, uh, very short things. If you can just, if you can get it. And again, I think that goes back to the training I was talking about when I took that correspondence course back in my twenties. Um, I like to get things as, as close to, to what I mean in a short uh, uh, space as I can. So I was doing some of those and um, uh, a friend said, you know, Molly, you should put these together in a book. And I thought, oh, I don't want to do that. Um, and she's a very pushy friend. <laughs> she's, <laughs> she's, I've dedicated the book to her. Um, she's, she's Germanic. She's, she's, she's a boss. And, and, um, and her advice is usually quite good. So I began to think, well, maybe it could be. Because I noticed that a lot of these pieces were about... Um, they were short. Um, they were about growing up in the Bay Area, which is where I was born in San Francisco. And I grew up in um, Sausalito, Mill Valley, San Anselmo. We kept moving west, it seemed. Um, I went to San Francisco State. I went to Berkeley. I'm very much of a local girl, even though I took off for 14 years to teach in Arkansas. But a lot of my life has been spent crossing and recrossing the Golden Gate Bridge which is sort of a San Francisco icon. So I thought, well, I'll just try writing about, so I took every year from 1945 up to 2023, just up to the present, 23. And I wrote a page, sometimes two pages, sometimes half a page on memories or incidences that happened or images that happened that relate to either going over the Golden Gate Bridge or going underneath it in a sailboat with a with a lover, or um, uh, thinking about it, or being far away from it, or even like being in Lisbon and seeing the um, the little bridge that's there that goes over the river that is the gold, like the Golden Gate Bridge. And so everything's sort of tied in, and it's called Lifespan, and it's um, coming out next June. And I'm a little worried about it, frankly, because I didn't change names. Uh, I'm writing as I remember it. I'm very worried about my daughters seeing it. It's not their mother at their best. I'm being very honest uh, with a lot of the, the memoirs. And I'm also feeling guilty about different men I've loved that didn't come out maybe with golden wings. Um, so so <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know if it's a book that I'm gonna want to promote. Um, I think it's going to be a wonderful book for somebody to sit and read um, quietly in their own armchair, but I don't think it's a book that I'm going to want to go public with because frankly, I'm a little afraid, <laughs> afraid, <laughs> afraid of retaliation. I think you know, when, you <laughs> when you tell your own story, you have to tell it honestly. And this is my, this is my truth as I, as I'm telling it. So, mm -hmm. so that's coming out. And I, I have to admit, I'm, my breath is held on it. So I'm, I've gone back to writing short stories and um, uh, that's that's what I love. I don't think I have the energy to ever write another novel. That takes a lot of planning. I'm not somebody who can, they, what is November is usually write a novel month. I'm not one of those people who can just sit down and write a novel in a month. It takes me years. Um, so I don't think I'm gonna be doing that, but I do. I'll go back to my love, which is short stories. And so that's that's what I'm working on now. And um, I'd love to have another collection of stories. So I'd love to 
um, have six collections of stories. So you gave me an inspiration to do that. <laughs> Sorry about the miscount. What can I tell you? <laughs> I liked it. Well, you know, I always like to end my interviews with this question because I find the answers that I get are are very interesting. What makes you feel successful as a writer? Oh, gosh. I think having a conversation or a letter or something with somebody who gets it, um, who, uh, whom I've, who lets me know that, that what I said touched them or moved them or that they feel a kinship to not me, but to the character or uh, the way I've presented myself. That really makes me feel, I don't know, less alone in the world and very, very gratified. Um, it certainly, <laughs> it certainly is not money, and it certainly, <laughs> <laughs> it certainly isn't, um, you know, a physical success. Um, uh, when I give readings, uh, having somebody laugh at the right time makes me feel successful. Having them laugh at the wrong time <laughs> makes. <laughs> less than successful. I don't think I think in terms of success or not, um, but it is immensely gratifying. I know when my first book came out, Rough Translations, I got uh, letters. In those days, you'd go to the mailbox and get letters. And the the it was always from women. And they often had the, uh, the time that they were writing the letter. And it was often 3 a.m. or 4 a.m. And they just wanted to tell me how they were feeling about my characters and how they related to them. And I treasured I treasured those letters and tried to write back to them um, just to thank them because that's, I, I, I would like to write for people who are awake at three in the morning. Okay. That's, that would make me feel successful. Good. That's a great question, Nancy. Thank you. Well, I'm, I'm sure there are a lot of people who, who are reading either your, I, I know I stayed up late reading your, your most recent novel. It was like, okay, I really need to go to sleep, but just let me, go to the next chapter, you know, but whether it's a novel, whether it's a short stories, or even when your memoir comes out, I know you're a little nervous about that, but yeah, I, I, I totally relate to the idea that when people make the connection with the characters or with what we're saying, that's in the end, that's really what we're writing for is, is to just make that connection, you know, hope that they get it hope that we've expressed it in a way that they can get it you know because there's always as you said earlier it's all sort of goes with the luck of the draw if you hit them at the right time in their lives because if they're reading it at the wrong time in their lives no it's not going to work but no but and and then i'm very gratified when readers let you know i think that's a real gift for a reader to reach out often i think readers are shy um about letting a writer know um so uh, but when they do i mean every every quote-unquote fan letter i've ever gotten is one that i just treasure so oh yeah absolutely well i have loved having you on the show and i really look forward to reading your memoir and more of your short stories as you start producing them for your next collection so you can keep on top of what i've already said you've written <laughs> Nancy, you've been great. Thank you so much. It's great. And I will look for, now, is it Re Rita? Renaming? Re reinventing Rita. Yeah, I'll look for Reinventing Rita. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. That will be fun. I love the time.
Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks again for being on the show. And thanks to everyone who joined us here at Living the Writing Life.